Hello and welcome to the Brady Bros Boston Sports Podcast, where we cover everything in the Boston sports world. My name is James Brady, and alongside me is my brother Nicholas. Say hello. Hello, everybody. Today is Monday, September 21st, and we are on episode 62. Let's go. No icing for the first time in 39 years. The Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. And starting it off as we always do with the Boston Red Sox. And I think what you have written down here is just the most accurate. Uh, The pain is almost over as we only have six games left in the regular season. Three against Baltimore, three versus Atlanta. All of them are away. Big out of sight, out of mind energy coming in here. Yeah, I mean, I haven't really watched the Red Sox in well over a week now. It's just kind of like why would I do that to myself type of thing? Granted, we did beat the Yankees the other day pretty bad. What was it, like 10-2 to two or 8-2? to two or... I think it was 10-2. to two. So we beat up on them pretty bad, which, of course, always good. Uh, but, you know, in just what's obviously been a super weird season and a, a pretty disappointing one at that, granted, we, we are missing uh, a, a couple of players. We've had some injuries. Um, you know, Chris Sale not there. Ben Attendee hasn't been there. Missing Mookie Betts and David Price, obviously, to the to the Dodgers. Um, just so many things, so many factors, and, and don't even get me started on the whole like the the COVID rules and everything and what happened with the season. So basically, yeah, it's almost over. We got six games left. Uh, we're officially eliminated from the playoffs. Not that that should come as much of a surprise uh, to anyone. And I think it's 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 time to start hopping on some hopping on the underdog wagons because I'm all in on like I don't know I haven't I haven't actually chosen a team yet but time to start rooting for anyone but uh, New York teams and LA teams. That sounds like a plan to me. The one bright spot in recent weeks has been Tanner Houck. I think it's that. I think it's Tanner Houck. I think that's pronounced correctly. Yes. Uh, he's been actually really good. So in his first two starts with the team, he is two and zero with eleven innings pitched, three hits, one earned run, uh, six one, walks, one run allowed. A uh, one run allowed. This is different. I had to look this up because I got confused. But an ERA of zero, six it's walks, different than an earned run, eleven strikeouts, and a point eight two WHIP. Uh, I think it's just like. I think he either walked a guy in or a wild pitch or like an he error left a, or something. Or he left a, be... It was something weird because he has not allowed any actual earned runs. Uh, yeah. And you said a great, you know, kind of a little bright spot at the at the end of a pretty disappointing season. And a guy that, you know, is putting in some work to potentially earn himself a, a spot somewhere in the pitching rotation whether it be starting relieving whatever uh in the next year or so so good to good to see uh, i was looking at this earlier to find his stats and i noticed that the red sox have used 28 different pitchers this year which i had in my mind was a lot especially for only a 60 game season where you have you know 
five usual starters in a rotation, maybe four nowadays as games are a little more spaced out and your starter doesn't go as long. Uh, and then maybe you have like 10 guys come in out of the bullpen throughout the year. No, Red Sox have used 28 different pitchers. Uh, to compare this to other teams, I think the Orioles have used like 20, 21 or 20, and the Yankees use like 24. So it's not necessarily necessarily substantially higher than other teams in the league, but I would be interested to see how this differs from like, say, the first 60 games of a regular season, you know, where you have guys not opting out. You don't have guys uh, having to quarantine or, you know, go through these extended procedures to get back to the team. And you don't have as much roster turnover, it seems like. Yeah, it definitely seems like we've basically just tried everything in terms of pitching this season. And I mean, why not? It's 60 games. You're clearly not going to win a lot of them. That's whatever. But I think that's been one kind of, I guess, positive part of this season is we've definitely seen a couple of guys come up who I think are going to be really good heading into you know the future. And I think a couple of those guys being like we've talked about, Bobby Dahlbeck's been good. Houck's been good. I think Verdugo... I think had a lot to prove coming to Boston where everyone's like, oh, well, you have to replace Mookie Betts. And that's not really fair. But on the defensive side of things, he's done really well. He's hit the ball very well. He's one of the Red Sox top hitters, I'm pretty sure, in terms of average as well as I'm sure several other stats. But I think he's done really well. And he's a good young guy moving down the stretch that will definitely be an asset to this team that we hopefully don't end up trading away. But it's like the three things we have to look forward to because there's been basically nothing else this entire season. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what what comes at the end of the season, uh, you know, after playoffs and everything and what kind of the, the Red Sox plan as an organization is that we are still uh, a month and a half away from, you know, got to get through playoffs and then into free agency, whatever. So it'll be interesting to see what they do, but that's going to pretty much wrap up the Red Sox segment. We'll have a kind of a, what'll be a season breakdown, I guess, next year, uh, next week, not next year, maybe next year, who knows? Uh, other than that, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty quiet on the baseball side of things for the, for the foreseeable future. Maybe we'll touch in on the, uh, playoffs when they come in October, but for now, let us continue on into the Boston Celtics who are in the playoffs, James. Yeah, they're pretty far. They're in the Eastern conference finals. They're now, uh, behind the series one game to two which is better than the zero games to two they were a couple nights ago uh, and game four coming this wednesday and i'm gonna say it, they've looked good in all three games they really have yeah but they've just they've taken their foot off the gas in the two losses where they would get up by you know 10 ish 15 ish points in like the third quarter and then fall apart or in the second quarter even and just let Miami chip away at that lead and slowly come back and slowly come back. And then finally comes down to the last minute of the game. They get down by four. They get into fouling people. And then if the free throws, you know, it gets to be a whole mess. So they lost the first two, won the next one. Uh, I'm very excited moving down the stretch. And I think a big thing of that game three win is definitely Gordon Hayward's return to this team. Yeah, I want to I want to take a step back here for a second and talk about that first game that went into OT because there was a very key play at the end. The game was tied. Tatum went in for kind of the dagger, went for a slam, and just a superb defensive play by I, I cannot remember Bam, the guy's Adebayo, no Adebayo, I think sounds correct. I think 
but just a superb defensive play to keep Miami in that game. But you're right. We have had a, we've had double digit leads in both of, well, in all three of the games for that matter, at some point or another, we usually start very hot and it just seems like the Celtics cannot close the game. Luckily getting the job done a couple nights ago to at least, at least put one on the board against Miami. But that was game three was actually the one I didn't watch, but it seems like Gordon Hayward did, you know, add a lot. I don't, maybe not in, in, in total offense or defense or a statistical category, but just having him back, it seemed like a renewed source of energy and the Celtics obviously winning that game, uh, playing probably the best out of the three games. Yeah, and I think it comes down to a couple of things. I think it's uh, kind of just like a rallying point. Like, Gordon Hayward's back. We got some confidence back. Let's just go out there and win this game. And also, the presence he brings on the court, just in terms of he's another weapon that the Celtics have. You have to guard him. You can't just let him open. He will score. He can score. And, you know, having a little bit of heat off of those other players allows other people to make plays to get these opportunities and I think just score a little bit more with a little bit of focus on Gordon Hayward, whereas that was falling on our, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth guys in the rotation. I think that uh, I think having Hayward back just definitely helps this team out. Like you said, maybe not on total offensive production, but just the presence, I think, alone uh, is very helpful. And also you saw huge games out of, I mean, Marcus Smart has played very well. Obviously, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have played very well. And I mean, this team looks very good. It's just going to be a matter of beating a, what I would say is a better Miami Heat team than I really thought they were. I know that they they blew out the the best team in the league in the Milwaukee Bucks, or at least the best team in the East, but I, I really didn't have an understanding of how just how good this Miami Heat team was until watching them. But that being said, I think the Celtics have what it takes. They're going to have to play incredible basketball, but I think they have what it takes to kind of swing the momentum in this series. They got their first win keep rolling with it yeah and i think it's kind of a kind of a scenario where us as celtics players you know we were focused on the on the celtics players we are not celtics players celtics fans uh we were focused on the toronto series you know whereas many maybe you know the big basketball fans were focused on on that Bucks series and you know the the league in general got to see how good this miami heat team was and now us as celtics fans having only followed the celtics uh, are getting to see firsthand how truly good they are. Cause I agree with you. I think it, it was a little more than I, I made it up to be in my head, but again, they have, have been dominant for, I would argue eight of the 12 quarters of this series, maybe even more if you want to break it down by points or, or whatever, but yeah, Gordon Hayward coming back is definitely big. Take some pressure off some other guys, create some opportunities for some other guys. And if you don't think this man is serious, he's not leaving the bubble for the birth of his child. No. Gordon Hayward is here to win. He's already got three other ones. What's watching the fourth one come well, out? It's, it's, uh, his, it's, it's, it's his first, first son. son. That is his true. first son. But uh, yeah, I he's do think... welcome him home with a fat ring, hopefully. That is the plan. But uh, we got a lot of games between that us now and that hypothetical well, hopefully only seven i hope so that was a real bold prediction but that's, uh that's yeah anyways impressive. we're gonna get out of you know talking about very very hypotheticals but i, I think one more thing i want to bring up here and i think i've said this to you off air so i'm gonna bring it up on air i think uh i felt with like the first three games 
especially the first two watching you know the fourth quarter and ot in the first game and then the fourth quarter in the second game it felt like the Celtics need to have that lead in the last like minute of the game. They need to be the team that's up. I don't think they play as well being the team that has to make up the points versus being the team that has to stop the other team from making up those points. I think that we need to rely on our defense in these situations. I think that the Celtics struggle, and I think it might partially just be because we have a very young lineup with a lack of playoff experience and you know, the kind of nerves and the gravity of the situation getting to them. But it just seems like it gets down to that, you know, minute left and maybe we're down by two or three points and the shots aren't falling for us. We can't make a clutch bucket. And to be fair, Miami has made some clutch buckets, but it just seems like when it comes to crunch time, not as many of our shots are going in that that hoop looks a little bit smaller for those Celtics players. And I think that I'd rather have such a great defensive team you know, up by two points, up by three points, and have the other team take the last shot. That is my personal opinion. I don't know if you agree with that or disagree with that, but just that's all I had to say. I I think I'm going to agree with you in the sense that I, I do have a lot of faith in our defense. Uh, but when it gets it gets down to the, those last minutes, that last minute, that last thirty seconds, even we're playing with almost almost too much urgency, almost too much of a rush. I would say. Whereas I think the Celtics need to slow it down maybe. And I think it just comes to, down to getting the easy bucket. You know, we see a, a very high percentage of three-pointers attempted in the league in general and on the Celtics team. And, you know, three-point is going to be your farthest shot from the hoop, obviously. So why not get in, attack the rim, try to get closer, try to get one of what people would consider an easier bucket or even draw a foul. I'm okay with winning the game on a couple of free throws if, you know, if that's the alternative over a turnaround jumper from the corner, you know? So I think maybe just mixing it up in, at the end of the game where, you know, the other team's kind of expecting us to attack from the arc. Granted, Tatum did try to drive in that game one, and I mentioned that he got blocked or whatever, but I think that was kind of an isolated incident and just a very good defensive play. Uh, I think maybe slow it down a little bit, but then when the time comes, be aggressive toward the rim. Try to get in closer and get an easier bucket. Yeah, I think that's a big thing with, uh, I think there was a quote from Jalen Brown. After either game two or three, well, there were many quotes after game two, but game three, I think he said, Allegedly. I, I play my best basketball in the paint. Like I'm a, I feel like I can play very good physical basketball and he just needs to be taking more of those opportunities. And I think it's something we've talked about Throughout the regular season, too, after a big struggle, I think it was last year, where we could just kind of ragged on the guy for a lot. Um, but I think he started taking those like higher percentage shots, and I completely agree with you. I think that you don't need to come down the court and let it just let it fly, uncork it from the first opportunity you see from three-point land, because sure, over the game, course of a whole game, we might take a lot of three-pointers, we might miss a lot, but it you just need to make a couple for that you know, for it to be worthwhile in terms of a very analytical standpoint. Um, but when it comes down to you only need two points, don't just jack up a random three because you have a foot of separation and you think it might go in maybe and sometimes in practice you make that shot. I think that, you know, take a couple extra seconds, take a couple extra passes, take a couple extra dribbles and, you know, really find your best percentage shot that you can. This is a Celtics team that you've seen is incredible at ball movement. And I think that obviously 
you're very concerned with ball movement in the last 30 seconds, last minute of a game, because if your pass gets not uh, tipped away, if your pass gets quote unquote intercepted, I know it's more of a football term, but you know, if it gets blocked or something, that's game, whatever they, they dribble down, they, you know, make a dunk, whatever that's game. But I think that you need to move the ball around more and find that high percentage shot, that traditionally easier shot. And at the end of the day, the shot needs to go in, whether it's a crazy three pointer, whether it's an easy two, I still need to go in the basket, but I do think that you're right. The Celtics need to kind of slow it down, take their time. And even if that means burning the shot clock a little bit more, taking the game clock down a little bit more, I think that you need to do that in order to be more successful in these late game situations. That all being said, I hope that we go into every late game up by 40 for all I care. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, you just have to have one more point than the other team. So whatever it takes, man. I think, uh, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, that all is going to wrap it up for the Celtics. And before we get into the Boston Bruins, a quick word from our sponsor. And getting into the Bruins, we'll make it quick again. Still out of the playoffs. The Stanley Cup has started, though, with the Dallas Stars going up one game to zero against the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Dallas Stars, you guys have my full support. Please beat the Lightning in three games if it was possible. Uh, anyway, I just want to touch on some free agency stuff that probably won't get um, talked about for for the next couple of weeks, I would say until while after the Stanley Cup, the the NHL free agency and like off season doesn't seem to be as big in my mind. Maybe I've just never paid attention to it than say like the MLB or or the NFL um, free agency, where it just seems like once uh, like there's so many big names moving around. I feel like hockey players don't do that as much. Anyway, in terms of free agents for the Bruins, we have five coming up at the end of this hockey season, uh, at the end of a very weird hockey season. Two restricted free agents, so um, Matt Grizzlick and Jake DeBrusque, which uh, you and I kind of talked about, pretty much means we have exclusive rights to them before, you know, they get to go talk to other teams, that sort of thing. And then unrestricted free agents being uh, Zidane Achar. You know, we, we signed him to, a, a believe, just a one-year deal last at the conclusion of last year. So that makes sense that his contract is up. Um, Joakim Nordstrom is also going to be an unrestricted free agent. And Tori Krug is going to be an unrestricted free agent. And I know kind of we were going to talk about maybe the guys we want back. And honestly, I want all of them. Like, I, I love this Bruins team so much. And I think the mo the more we can do to keep it the same with maybe adding just some younger guys via the draft or or feeder teams or smaller moves on the offseason, maybe the better off we will be. I think Char is an obvious one to add. We've talked about him before and maybe him taking a hit a little bit in in playtime and you know, line position. Grizzlick and DeBrusque, two of our maybe two of our best skaters or two of like they're the two best skaters on this team. Uh, DeBrusque just offering so much speed up front. I think you definitely got to keep him Grizzly, you know, a, a lower tier defender, at least on this team. I think he's third line. Is that correct? The second or third. Yeah. But he's, second or third he's a very good two way defenseman still because of that speed. Like you talked about. Yeah. So another guy, Tori Krug, obviously just, you know, really stepping up. He'd be my pick. I think probably both of our picks to step up to that first line and maybe play with McAvoy on that first defensive line. Should he choose to come back? Should we have him back? And Nordstrom just 
one of the scrappiest players on this team, I think, just coming in in that fourth line, not getting that much ice time, but making every second count that he's out there. We saw him with huge numbers in blocks or, or block shots, rather, in the in the playoffs this year. And just a guy that can come off the bench and add and, and really pester, you know, maybe maybe a tired defensive line on the other team. Yeah, and going back to what you said originally with uh, you really don't want to lose any of these guys, I completely agree with you. I think that you look in the last two years, the Bruins have made very minimal moves, very minimalistic moves. They haven't really dealt a lot of guys. They've had two or three guys kind of leave here and there, but the core of this team has been the same for the past couple of years, and look where it's got us. I mean, almost as far as we've wanted to go, you know, game seven of a Stanley Cup. I mean, this year was kind of an early exit, but... I would blame a lot more of that on a break in a season where the Bruins were just running away with it uh, during the regular season before all of this coronavirus stuff happened. But I think, yeah, Krug be hopefully coming back. I think he's probably the biggest name, I would say, in terms of getting him back. He's a very good young player, but I also think he's probably the biggest flight risk in terms of him just going out pursuing free agency He's very good at what he does. He can get a lot of money. I'm just hoping that the person signing their checks is in Boston. Uh, with Chara, you said he was on a one-year one year deal last year. Probably just going to be the same thing. I don't see him changing teams at this point. I literally just see him playing in Boston or retiring, and he said he wants to play again. So I don't see why we wouldn't just sign him to continual one-year deals until he decides he's done playing hockey. Uh, like you said, Grizzlick and DeBrusque, I'm not as worried about because they are restricted free agents and I'm hoping we can work something out with them. But they're just guys of this this young core that I want to keep on this team. And I think that you keep these guys around, you have a great chance to make a deep run in the playoffs every single year. And then like you said, Nordstrom, a guy that didn't see a ton of ice time but made it count when he was on the ice. Very scrappy, like you said. And I just think that... uh He's a really great player on that fourth line, and it's a fourth line that you can have some confidence when you're out there. You know, you see Bruce Cassidy putting a lot of faith in these guys and, you know, letting them play in certain situations. And I think that he's a guy that is up there with, you know, the, with the best of them on the, those back lines. And I really do think that he does a good job. If we can bring him back, obviously, I'd love that. If not, he's probably, of everyone we've read off on this list, Probably the person I'm least concerned with what they end up doing, but another guy that I'd love to see come back if he wants to. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. I think Nordstrom is probably the the one I would be willing to let go. Um, the other four would be, you know, no, Grizzlick, maybe not as much just because I, I don't define him as may, maybe one of these core guys. But, you know, it's always sad to see anyone go, especially just from a team that I personally have gotten super invested in over the last couple of years. Uh, but that being said, we will update you as you know, these things come up again, probably won't be for a couple of weeks. And with that, we will get out of the Bruins into the Patriots segment. And I have honestly, I've overstayed my welcome. I've talked a lot this week. So James go for it. Oh, well, alrighty then. So Patriots, uh, they did drop a tough game last night. They they lost to the Seattle Seahawks 30-35 to and uh, basically just came down to one goal line play. It was a stop on probably the two-yard line that sealed the game for the Seahawks. But I 
this is probably the, not the happiest, but like the best I have felt after a loss in a very long time for this Patriots team. It's not one where it's like, oh, we can just write it off because we're already ahead by this much. Doesn't matter. Like in the in the season, in terms of our standing, like this is just a game that. I think the Patriots played very, very well. It's unfortunate we didn't kind of steal a win in a game that if you looked at the odds, we weren't really supposed to win anyways, but it is disappointing when the Patriots lose, but I think this is like the most, a lot of, not the most, but a lot of positive stuff came out of this game. Yeah, you mentioned coming down to the last play, uh, and I think we we kind of talked about this on the was a good time to plug we kind of did a pats preview episode um late last week we realized we didn't really talk about the upcoming matchup uh, and i think that's probably something that's going to continue am i correct in saying that i think the format of that was good and everything um, yeah I, th- I think it's just a good format where we'll talk about we'll basically recap what happened uh the previous day if it's a sunday game and then if it's a monday night game we'll kind of have to figure that out but we don't have a monday night game until week nine so we have some time to kind of contingency plan here but basically the format of us breaking down what happened in the game uh, we record on monday so we'll the sunday night game or sunday games we'll break down on this and then we'll preview the next game um on a episode that comes out like saturday or sunday or something that way we don't talk about football for literally i could talk for an hour and a half about the past game and the next game so it's. I think it's a good way to break it up if we're willing to keep doing it. That being said, if you did happen to catch that, I think we talked about, you know, we saw in game one, it was very weird to see a mobile QB and Cam showed us that, yeah, he can still run the ball and he's very good at it. And then we talked about, okay, now he's got to prove his arm's still there. And I think, I, I think for me, he definitely, I'm definitely not 100% confident in him just, you know, passing the ball down the field. He did have an interception. But it, I think it went a, a, a long way in restoring you know some confidence in people that may have not thought cam newton still had the ability to throw the ball around going 30 for 44 with almost 400 yards 397 to be exact you have here that is his personal third highest ever and i believe it's 10th or 11th year in the league if i'm correct yeah it's it's one of those it's something like that so showing us that he can indeed uh throw the ball really spreading it around to the receiving core of the Patriots. James, I'll let you break that down in a second. Uh, but also showing us that, he, yes, he can still rush the ball on 11 attempts for 47 yards and two more of his own touchdowns. Yeah, and so if you look at it overall for him, over a 400-yard total performance between the 397 through the air, 47 more on the ground. And like you said, he did have one interception, that kind of robbery by Quentin Dunbar, who is no stranger to things of that sort, uh, but also his first passing touchdown of the season, of all people going to Jakob Johnson, our fullback, out of a uh, a lineup or a uh, formation on the offense that we saw, I would argue, a couple too many times in the are you you know, one, at least at least one too many times too in many. kind of on the goal line but we'll we'll break that down later on uh like you said about the receivers yeah cam newton was just dishing it last night kind of spreading it around a little bit to everyone but on you know the most in the receiving end was julian edelman who had i would say a near perfect game and he was one catch away from having that perfect game in my mind which would have been the 
catch that would have got a touchdown that would have won us the game. Uh, but anyways, eight catches, 179 receiving yards, which is a new career high for Julian Edelman. Nikhil Harry, eight receptions, 72 yards. And I wrote down here that he basically seemed all night long like he was one broken tackle away from getting a really big chunk play, getting 20, 30 more yards after the catch. He just seemed like he was one, you know, one hurdle, one little step, one little move away from really breaking it out downfield. Uh, Demir, I think it's Demir Bird. I mistyped it here. Uh, Demir Bird also looked really good. Six receptions for another 72 yards. And it was a great performance by the Pats air attack in a game that they really needed to because they could not get the run game going basically at all. Yeah, and I, I really like Cam spreading it out to multiple receivers, obviously favoring Edelman and Akil Harry. Um, but, you know, if he also has that ability, I think it's one of the things that makes Tom Brady so hard to read is he has no problem throwing it to a receiver you have never even heard of. He knows he's going to put the ball in the right place. And now I would argue Brady has it as kind of a better arm in terms of in a better vision uh, than Cam. But, you know, if he's spreading it out like this to multiple different receivers, it creates a, it creates a problem for future defenses on not only having to guard that rush, but having to guard, you know, two or three primary targets of Cam. Um, yeah, the run game not doing a whole lot. But again, uh, we, we talked about this. I think we wanted to see more of an air attack against what we chalked up as kind of a weaker Seattle secondary, you know, giving up 450 yards to Matt Ryan. but should we talk about kind of kind of that goal line formation we saw a couple times? Is this is this where we want to do that? Uh, I'm going to quickly talk about the run game a tiny bit more, and then yes. Uh, so basically, Cam Newton leading the charge on the ground with uh, 11 rushes, like we said, for 47 yards. But behind him, Sony Michelle uh, could not get anything going last night. Seven carries, 19 yards. Rex Burkhead six carries for two yards. JJ Taylor one carry for negative one yard, and it was. Like we said, we did want a bigger passing game out of the Patriots, but I think we did also talk about that they needed a run game to supplement their passing game. And I think a big thing is during that middle section of the game, I'd say like the second half of the second quarter and then like the basically the third quarter, we had a lot of drives stalling out because we'd run it on first down, run it on second down, and then we'd have a third and seven. And uh, who was there to make a lot of plays? Julian Edelman, uh, which was great. And I think it shows it was like Brady last year where when a big play was needed, it the ball was going to Julian Edelman. Defense knew it. Offense knew it. Whatever. But I think that we need to see more of Julian Edelman in the red zone and just more passing in the red zone because that was a really big issue for us last night. Like you said, with that kind of for, uh, I think it's a heavy set formation is what it might technically be and i'm kind of stepping outside of my real football knowledge here so i might just be saying things completely incorrectly but what we saw often was a set with cam newton in the uh obviously in the backfield receiving the snap and then he had the fullback and a tight end who would both motion out uh sometimes both to the left side some one to the left one to the right um but we saw that run i want to say four or five different times because i think it was five i'm trying at to count least because so and it was f- five on the goal line because two for cam newton's touchdown one for the one, passing touchdown was out of that same formation yep one for the two-point conversion which failed and one for the, the last final play five. Which, 
yeah so so know. really three for five not that bad we just you know kind of needed the, that one extra the two the that didn't work were at very inopportune times and i think had a little bit more going on but yeah only passing once out of that same formation i've talked about this i'll kind of i'm willing to kind of throw it all out there and then shop it back next week if they kind of make me eat my words but i think unless you go out in week three use that formation again and just pass basically every time out of it i think that the play calling is a little bit questionable especially at the end of the game i did see a quote earlier today from bill belichick who in all-time bill belichick fashion basically just said it was the last play of the game we picked what play we thought had the best chance to score and that was the play we decided on nothing more than that and yeah it's obviously in hindsight easy to say oh you should have called something else because the play you called didn't work yeah it's easier for us to say that after the fact but in the moment it was a play that was at that moment i guess what three for four so yeah, that's just what i was that i actually i'm gonna jump in here because that's one that i wanted to point it out because i think last night you know both of us having watched that happen uh, we were talking about, we were kind of a, a little upset to know, like, that's kind of a lazy play call. You know, you've, you've done it so many times. Obviously the run is going to be going to be heavy out of that set, you know, the one passing play. But I think now, um, I think now it, it, it does make sense. You were right at that point of the game, they were three for four on that only missing on that two point conversion. So, you know, converting the 18 of 18 points that they needed from that from that formation earlier in the game. Of course, that's taking aside the two-point conversion. So I think it, it, it makes sense, and I think this is the part where we maybe have to transition over to giving Seattle a lot of credit for how they played because credit where credit is due, something we say on this podcast a lot, Seattle played a very good football game. Yeah, and uh, I don't really think I have anything else to add to the offense other than... I think Cam Newton still at the end of the day had a great game. It's just unfortunate that it's going to kind of be the, the bad taste in your mouth is going to be that last play, seeing him come up a couple of yards short on, on a, just another great defensive play by Seattle. But speaking of great defensive plays, there uh, there weren't a whole lot by the Patriots uh, other than there, the there pick was six. One. Yeah, the pick six by Devin McCourty on one of the first plays of the game, uh, running it back to the house celebrating in front of the weirdest celebration camera type thing i've ever seen which is basically just a big tv on the wall of the stadium where you can see your own picture and then they all do a pose uh but other than that the patriots defense literally did not do anything and i'm gonna make you read everything after this because i wrote it just for you all right so after the after the pick six, which honestly was not Russell Wilson's fault, bounced off the hands of Greg was it Greg Olson. Olson? Yep. Yep. Basically right into Devin McCourty, who returns it, like you said, to the house. Um all right, and I'm gonna this these are James's words, not mine. Know that. So the motto for Seattle last night was let Russ cook and cook he did, slicing up the defense and flaming the secondary for 288 yards on 21 of 28 attempts for five touchdowns. That brings him to nine on the first two games. He with, scrambled for with addition. one interception. That wasn't his fault. Yeah, with one interception. That brings, um, sorry, and adding an additional 39 yards on the ground on five attempts. Last year, it took the Patriots defense six full weeks to allow their first patching touchdown. And 
13 to allow five total passing touchdowns. So Seattle did that in one, whereas last season, it took four months. Nope, three months. Three and a half. I don't know where the bye week was, but you get the point. Just, and again, credit where credit is due. Russell Wilson is an elite quarterback and he played incredible, but for a, a Patriots defense that is one of the best in the league last year, especially. And I would argue, you know, yeah, we lost a couple of important pieces. We still have the McCourty twins, defensive player of the year, Stefan Gilmore, uh, many other pieces that go in that Patriots defense. You, you can't be giving up five touchdowns a game. Yeah. And I think I want to say that this was more of just an all-time performance by Russ than it was a complete meltdown on the side of the Patriots defense, but you saw a lot where you also just had some incredible plays by the Seattle offense. You had DK Metcalf being just the whatever unholy creation of God that he is, being as tall as he is, as fast as he is, and as strong as he is, where Stephon Gilmore, I said this, I think, Stephon Gilmore made a play on that ball where he reached his hand out, got his hand right where the ball is going to land in DK Metcalf's arms. And I'd say against 95% of the receivers in the league, Stephon Gilmore makes the play, ball comes out, guy's not able to come down with it. And I just think DK Metcalf's part of that top 5% of the league who's just good enough, strong enough, aware enough to make that play and take it for a touchdown. We saw another guy uh, basically using the pylon... Him hitting the pylon with his foot was an indicator to drag his foot back in bounds to make an incredible play. And just Russ, just he, he could do whatever he wanted. He could Again, do whatever that, that, he uh, wanted. But I'm hoping, like I said, it's more of just Russell Wilson being what looks like an MVP candidate, very clearly being an MVP candidate this year, than the defense just all-time meltdown. And I was going to say uh, on that that play where he dragged his toes back and bound another play by, I forget who the, who the covering man was on that, but that probably should have been broken up. The The hand was in the right place. The defender played it very well. Do you remember who it was offhand? No, I don't. I was it one like of the it McCordy was, twins. It might've been Jason McCordy. And I think the, I know it was David Moore who came down with it, but it was on it was on a long throw, and it was plenty of time. The The defender for the Patriots, I think it was Jason McCourty, did a great job of, you know, not getting a pass interference call, not getting a holding call, you know, playing the ball very cleanly, and it just so happens that he just made a really big play. That's just what happened at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think, uh, do you have any closing thought? I think that pretty much wraps it up. We talked about the final play call already, I think, in detail. Um. Overall, I would say very encouraging from the offense and from Cam Newton and definitely a couple steps in the right direction towards restoring the Patriots as as kind of a superpower in this league. Um, defense, obviously, I, I, I want to say this is an isolated incident. I want to say, like you said, Russell Wilson just having an all-time game and you know nothing really to worry that much about. Yeah, and I, I think it's more one of those things where it's not like Russell Wilson highlighted some glaringly obvious problem with the scheme of the Patriots defense. It's just him being an incredible decision maker and a very smart quarterback where I think you go up against a lot of other guys in the league as QBs and they just they don't quite have the smarts and the intuition that Russell Wilson is Russell Wilson has to make those plays 
find those gaps in the defense and just have the confidence to air it out against what is typically a pretty good Patriots secondary. But I think, yeah, closing on the fact that I think it was a and it was an encouraging loss for the Patriots, which we don't often say. We usually just complain a bunch. But uh, I think that it'll be a very different story next week in Las Vegas. No, in New England versus Las Vegas, yeah, playing Chucky in the Raiders. Uh, yeah, I guess we could talk fantasy for a second if you want to. I don't really have anything to add. I know last week you talked about just, well, did you talk about all three of these, all five of these guys here? I did talk about all five of those guys, and I right, didn't we're come up talk with about any the, for this week. But two, That's fine, because um, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head for three of these five guys last week. Uh, Scotty Miller, J.K. Dobbins, both you have written busts here. I don't actually know their stat lines, but I assume bust is... I think they put I know, together I know like a combined four is, points. Is not maybe. good. Um, but you also just suggested a couple of guys named Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, and Raheem... Mostert. 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 Anyway, Josh Allen posting a huge game, four touchdowns, 400 passing yards. Kyler Murray uh, posting a huge game with 32 total fantasy points. Josh Allen had just shy of 34 and a half. Uh, and then Mozart, 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 bro, Mozart, um, actually leaving the game with an injury. Was it the third or fourth quarter? I think it was like the second or third so he went but to work he, quick literally the first play of the game 80 yard touchdown uh so totaling just over 15 uh fantasy points there so a, a couple of good picks from james last week surprising i would say considering how your fantasy team is doing yeah it was uh all the sleepers that i had my eyes on did nothing and all the players that Someone in your league probably already has did well, so I just hope they weren't playing against you, or I hope they're on your team. Uh, but yeah, I couldn't really think of anyone this week that really stood out to me in terms of like, oh, they're going to be a really underrated pick. I still think keep an eye on Scotty Miller. He's a guy that Brady likes. He got a couple of decent looks, I think, uh, on Sunday, but just couldn't make anything happen with it. But it's going to be one of those things where especially with the next couple of weeks with all the crazy injuries, and that's something we didn't really talk about or really need to talk about because it's just a very bad topic, but a lot of injuries in week two. Uh, hoping that everyone heals quickly is all right. I'm hoping the injuries aren't as severe as they were you know, worried about, but that's it. We've managed to escape relatively unscathed in terms of the... Uh, in terms of injuries to the Patriots this week, I don't think we had any major ones, but a lot of a lot of key guys going down around the league. So we're hoping that uh, that they recover quickly, and I'll I'll just kind of keep it at that. I don't think we really need to dive into it anymore. Yeah, it certainly was a tough week for a lot of teams and a lot of big players. But like you said, uh, we don't need to dive into that. Just just hoping for speedy recoveries around the league, pretty much. And I think that is going to do it for us. Thank you guys so much for listening. We really do appreciate it. Uh, it's probably going to be be a bit of a longer episode, I think it feel, felt like, but who knows. Uh, that being said, if you want to leave us some sort of feedback, a rating, a comment, anything, um, let us know what you like. Let us know what you don't like. Yell at James for his fantasy picks. We really don't care. Just say something. Uh, if you want to keep up with us outside of the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram at Brady Bros Boston, on YouTube at Brady Bros. My Twitter is, is well, no, that's not my Twitter. My Twitter is Brady Bros Nick. James's Twitter is James B underscore Boston. 
Anything else? Now we'll uh, hopefully see you sometime later this week for another Patriots preview for the game versus the Las Vegas Raiders. See ya.